the only Edmonton-based podcast coming to you from La Vie Lumière, the right. City of Lights. The City of Paris. Lights. Paris. Uh, Paris. Yes. We're in Paris. We are in Paris. Uh, coincidentally enough, that was exactly my thing, the only uh, Canada-based podcast that was on a five-week sabbatical. So thank you. Well, for we're not on sabbatical. Me. We're basically on sabbatical. No, because we're actually doing it. If you were on sabbatical, you'd be leaving. You wouldn't be doing no, it. No, you go do your job somewhere else. That's what we're that, doing. I don't, is that what sabbatical means? I don't know. I'm not an academic. I have no... F- Flip an idea what Well, why don't you research is. these things before you say them out no, loud? No, saying them out loud just feels better. It's all about the feeling, Lindsay. You gotta feel right in the moment. Uh, but yes, we are Baking Peaks. We are recording in Paris. We are. Uh, so we are we are on a street where if we look down to our left, we see the Tuileries yep. uh, Palace and the gardens. If we look down to our right, we have the, the Paris Opera House, the, yes. the Palais Garnier. Yeah. Um, this is insane. I can't believe we're here. We have no business being in Paris. Yes. We are the most clear. uncultured people. And and yet here we are um, visiting to, Paris. Yeah. And seeing the sights, enjoying the sounds. And totally forgetting that we were in Paris after watching this episode. I stayed up. We will, Okay. So it airs at 3 a.m. here. Paris time. Yeah. Uh, so we, we went, went to, bed to bed about midnight because we, we had a big day yesterday. We were out in uh, Villebon-sur-Yvette, which is a, a little village um, in zone four, I think, south of, of Paris, visiting friends. And their daughter was having their her fourth birthday party. So we were out there celebrating a little girl's birthday party. It was great. Um, but we came back on the RER. It was like midnight when we arrived yeah. back here. And so we went to bed for like two hours, two and a half hours. And then woke up to watch this show. So it was, it was like the most. It was the weirdest way to watch Twin Peaks, yeah. I think, because we were still half we were, asleep, basically. Yeah, yeah. and usually and we're so excited, and then we, we want to stay like, up and talk, and <laughs> and after right this, it's bed. like, okay, is it time for bed now? Okay, and then we woke up again at like ten, and yeah. then started really. Yeah. I mean, I was up for about another hour, hour and a half on Twitter. Yes, you were on the kind Twitters. of digesting with with fans and other people who stayed up to watch it. Well, or, you know, or watching it at a regular, it at a regular hour, hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> over in North America. In North America. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so... So, yeah, we are here, though. So if you hear some other background noise, yes. some some rain, it's raining right now. Some, or, like, emergency sirens, because yeah. we're, we're right in the first arrondissement. So we're, we're like... Yeah, we're in know. the middle of it. And, yeah, so you might just... Just as a warning, you might yeah. get some background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but part nine... Part nine. This is the chair. This is the chair. Uh, that is the episode we are talking about. Yep. The part. Yep. Uh, Lindsay. Yep. Did you have any initial thoughts? High level discussion points I, for this episode. I felt like this was much more like an original Twin Peaks episode. It mm-hmm. felt like just plot wise, it it picked up oh, pace yeah. and and in a way that felt like like OG Twin Peaks. You know, um, we're we're putting a lot of the pieces together. It. It didn't. It didn't feel like there was. It was a lot of like. It definitely very different than part eight. Part eight, there was a lot of mythology building and big ideas that were coming out. Right here, it was a lot of the the little plot points. Um, there was a lot of putting of the pieces together. Putting mm-hmm. together of the pieces, I guess, would be a better better way of saying that. Um, so unlike part eight, which was a lot of big high level ideas and myth building. This was very plot 
based, but it mm-hmm. deepened the mysteries in a lot of in a lot of cases, especially yeah. with the Bill Hastings thing, which we've been wondering when we were going to yeah. see Bill Hastings. And Matthew Lillard comes back in fine, fine form. Apparently, he wrote on Twitter last night. He didn't know he was going to be in the episode. Of course, the yeah, actors don't know when things when are going to be happening. Yeah. Um, but he's like, I guess I was in Twin Peaks last night, and. Uh, and he said that he did this in two takes and it was the hardest thing he'd ever done as yeah. an actor. Which, I mean, you watch it and it's it's an intense scene and, um, and I totally get it. Yeah, and it's an odd one. I mean, we can, we can talk we'll about get it when we get it, there, yeah. but it is it is interesting because it's it feels almost comical at times just because he's so overwrought with well, it's melodramatic it right? is exactly it's it's playing with that 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 feel again just like I but said, that's where twin that's peaks. where twin peaks did a lot of really great things like yeah. you know um with especially in the second season the melodrama and stuff yeah. got really uh heightened yes I, re- I also really love that there was this mix of fast pacing on some of the key storylines mixed with these long drawn out shots of like you know the detectives busco just uh, standing there yeah, yeah or you know gordon and tammy and diane having a cigarette yeah and and it's just this long shot of nothing happening they're just yeah. staring at each other it's so it's it's a really green beautiful green onions all over again it is know, kind yeah. of but it's but it's beautiful it's it's neat the way that that kind of comes together and you can have a lot of fast paced stuff happening with these slow scenes as well mm. so what did, what did you think High level stuff? I, no I agreed uh, I think this one reminded me a lot of part 7 where we said the same uh, thing yes. about part 7 that this was you know plots were moving quickly and there were things coming together and and stuff was happening mm-hmm. um and here it was it was the same it was it was these plots that we've been waiting to see where they're going and they're connecting finally mm-hmm. um you know we finally had the call from Colonel Davis to Gordon Cole to get you know yes. the Major Briggs plotline integrated with the whole investigation in Doppelkoop and yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just it's picking up quickly. And we yeah, the Bill Hastings one is a big one, uh, but there's there's a bunch Duncan Todd and uh, like the Spike yeah. and everything. You know, we were getting those connections made too. Yeah. Um, and some of them are what we expected. Some were a little bit different, I think. Uh, but it was yeah, it was a really interesting episode to watch that way, in that it felt like a return. It is odd because you know if you looked at it from part eight to this. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with each other. Well, and this <laughs> except is where Cooper. some of the conversation that's been happening since part eight was what would this feel like if if we were able to watch it as an 18 hour movie, all the episodes back to back or Aiden, I think you brought up maybe doing it in three, six hour installments or, you know, smaller chunks here and there. Um, and I know the guys on Twin Peaks Unwrapped were wondering about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be jarring to go from part seven, which, like you said, was like part nine but with part eight in the middle that is so different like tonally and thematically different yeah it um i don't know how that's gonna play i don't it's something we're we're not gonna find out until the end but um in the meantime it's it was a great hour of television and uh, yeah it was really it was fun to watch again it was yeah it was one of those ones where you're just like captivated yeah a fun way to come back to it after a a two-week break well, and there's lots of humor too. It was, yeah, it was just, it was a classic. Yeah, you're right. It really did feel like a original Twin Peaks episode in a lot of ways, um, and that was that was really great. So yeah, and we did get more Twin Peaks. We got more Twin Peaks action going on. Yeah, with a lot of characters, including two horns, not the horn that we're looking no, for. Of course not. Uh, but we did get to see Johnny and Sylvia mm-hmm. briefly, which was really interesting. And Ben, mm-hmm. I I'm loving. Yes. Ben Horn to pieces. As good Ben. As good Ben. Yeah. He's just like this. 
he's like the proper elder statesman now. Yeah. I just love it. I, I think he's uh, Richard Bamer's playing him yeah, very, exactly. very beautifully, softly. Yeah. Gently, it's it's. Well, it's a, like he it's just picked up where he left him twenty five years ago, but, but twenty five years, years later, yeah. and you know more set in those those good ways, you know. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, a place, Buckhorn. So we'll start with the start, uh, which is the first shot is just Doppelkoop walking down the road, looking like crap. Yeah. <laughs> after he'd been shot, um, I mean, he doesn't look too wounded like it's not like he's incapacitated he's no, still it, so, moving fine so it reminded me of um remember uh, he was shot in the stomach we see that uh, in a, a yeah, later. scene just but i thought also the this. chest maybe, maybe but i but all i was thinking of was this because you brought it up a lot of other podcasts and uh, podcasters and people online brought up that he was shot in the stomach area similarly to the way cooper was shot in um the season finale season one finale yeah and we see him in the opening of season two walking around with his, you know, he's obviously mm-hmm. very injured. And we we talked about that a lot in our podcast uh, recap of that episode that Kyle McLaughlin plays someone who has had major abdominal trauma yeah. very, very well. Yeah. This is not yeah. a guy with abdominal trauma. No. Like he doesn't need to be sewed up. No. But uh, but he's covered in blood anyway. Yeah. Um, but you don't know that he's injured. He kind of just looks like he's recovered completely. It's. Yeah. It's uncanny. It's it's eerie. It is. It also reminded me a lot of Jeffrey Beaumont. Um, morning after Jeffrey Beaumont in uh, Blue, uh, Velvet Blue Velvet gets yeah. gets uh, his ass kicked by yeah. Frank and yeah. and Co. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it just seemed like not not thematically obviously because Jeffrey Beaumont's a good guy. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, just like that morning after shot of. Yeah, you've had your your ass handed to you, and now you've got to yeah come clean to up terms and go with it. With it. Yeah, Jeffrey yeah. Beaumont has a has a good cry. Mister C goes to the farm. I'm yeah. guessing this is the I, farm. I'm thinking this is the farm. Yeah. Um. And okay, so this is intercut with the scene with uh, the FBI on the plane back to Philadelphia. So we go there quickly. Um. And Tammy gives Gordon some coffee. Then she says that Colonel Davis is on the phone. He picks it up. They have a cute little exchange where, you know, again, Cole's mishearing things. Um, Cole gets the key information that there's something going on in Buckhorn. um, And he gets Lieutenant Knox's name and uh, says, okay, we'll be there right away. Um, Then we cut back to uh, Doppelkoop walking in to the farm. And this is where we meet Chantel, who we'd met in part two, I think. Or three. I part two or three. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it was part two. It was the episode where Daria was killed. Yes, exactly. Yeah, where Daria was killed. Um, so she was in the room next door. Um, and here we meet her again with her husband, uh, Huck? Hutch. 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 Sorry. Played yes. by Tim Roth. So yes. that sets to rest a lot of the speculation about what character he was going to play. A yeah. lot of people thought he might be playing Philip Jeffries. Oh. Um, but bringing him back or bringing him into the story here as, as yeah. Chantel's husband. Husband. Yeah, that's what he called her in yeah. part two. So it... It's an interesting dynamic we have uh, there. It's, it's it's cool though, and he plays it he plays it pretty well. Yeah, um, um, but it's it's interesting because they were expecting him that night, and this was obviously the location that he said he would need them yes. in a couple of days. So, once again, people seem to be able to tell the future a lot in this episode <laughs> and in Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, because you know he didn't really want to go. It seemed like he didn't really want to go to prison. Um, Mr. C didn't. Mr. C yeah. didn't. He also didn't like it that Ray was in prison. Uh huh. But then he sent them there couple days in advance i guess no he sent them there after he looked up the blueprints of yankton so i guess he had it in his brain at that point never mind that 
nix that. Um, but yeah, Chantel gets all worried and goes to grab a kit to help him out. Um, and he kind of walks off. Back on the plane, Gordon asks Diane if they can go to Buckhorn because he's found out that that's where they need to go. And she's incredibly unimpressed. She doesn't want to go at all. She just wants to go home. Um, Albert and Diane have a little moment. It's a little bit of levity, but it's followed immediately by uh, one of the strangest scenes in retrospect because Diane seems to be trying to check her phone and the call or the text or whatever she's trying to access is blocked. And she seems kind of... I don't know. Is she worried or is she she's disappointed or something? There's there's a, a strange emotion there's, going on there's there. There's a lot of ambiguity in that. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in retrospect, it's it's interesting how she reacts. We'll come back to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Tammy gets another call and um, gets the phone to Gordon and announces that it's Warden Murphy, and who is explaining that Cooper's escaped. Yeah. And Gordon delivers the line that Cooper flew the coop. Yeah. Which is very similar yeah. to what Albert said in the second episode, I think. of season two yes that's right about Wyndham Earl having flown the coop coop yeah um (laughs) so yeah just you know uh moving the plot along all these things are happening very quickly and uh yeah and we go back quickly again to the farm yes and uh Cooper here gets a couple cell phones from or at least he has one pink one which is kind of funny a pink bedazzled a pink, yeah yeah and which i just love it like looks C9. like it's chantelle's phone yeah probably yeah but yeah you know you're right it's an old it's an old phone it's one of those mm-hmm. it's it's something that i think so we've kind of established that this is not taking place in in the distant distant past yeah we've just got old tech being used yeah, like the okay, t9 so. the t9 um text input yeah yeah that's that was a throwback yeah, for that me. Was, yeah, I love that. Was that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating to send a text. On yeah, one of those it phones. was so far away, but but um, so much fun when it's bedazzled. I guess so. <laughs> no wonder Mister C likes it. The the content of the message yes. though is around the dinner table. The conversation is lively. Yeah, um, and we don't know who he's sending this to, but usually all his other uses of electronics has just been gobbledygook, and then it comes out clear or he gets whatever he wants from it. Right. But this is like something human. Someone we know this is going to someone who has to make sense of it. Um, and later on we find out who that is. Um, we also get him calling Duncan Todd. Yes. Uh, so confirming for us that, yes, it was Doppelkoop who was setting up this contract with Duncan Todd uh, to kill Dougie. And Lorraine. Uh, yes. But my question is... Well, not it, Lorraine. It was Dougie. And then uh, Duncan sent Ike the spike after Lorraine, in order, after Lorraine failed to kill Dougie. I think that's the sense that... That's that's the order of sequence or sequence of so events. So who was that setting? Who was setting? Who wanted Lorraine to kill Dougie? Duncan. After Cooper just wants Dougie dead. He said, "Duncan, you go handle this." Duncan said, "Lorraine, you have the contract to start." After she failed to kill him, he that, sent he Ike. sent Ike to kill her okay. and clean that up. Okay, but all I'm asking is, he says, "Did you do it?" And he says, "Not yet." Duncan yeah. says, "Not yet." So is this? He hasn't attempted to kill Dougie yet, no, or he hasn't, he hasn't succeeded killed. in killing yeah. Dougie yet. Yeah. That's why, and then the next thing uh, DC says is, you know, obviously it has to be done the next time I call. Right. I just wanted to know, like setting up this this um, the storyline, it's impossible to tell what's. We only ever see Duncan Todd seated at his desk. Mm-hmm. It's either daytime or nighttime, but we have no other bearings about what day or time or anything it is. Yeah, time wise. So up to this point, now we have a. So a it makes you wonder yet. if if it's because it's the first contact that Mister C has had with Duncan Todd. Is this happening even before? Is this before Duncan Todd has asked Lorraine to kill Dougie? Mm, is this before okay. um, 
like has he found out that Dougie hasn't like yeah you're right no that's true yeah I hadn't and maybe that, maybe but. because it's been a while since we went over the timeline such as it is such as we can make maybe out. there is an answer out there we would love to know if you guys can can help us figure it can out the other. Um, I think this yeah. this episode did have a lot of clues about timelines it did. that we can start working with um maybe but not in this scene. not not right now and not in this scene but what uh, is interesting is that um Hutch comes back and sets Mr. C up with a gun with mm-hmm. uh a shotgun? No, he sets him up with a bag that's full of stuff. Full he of stuff, keeps yeah. the shotgun. Yeah. And then uh, Mr. C tells Hutch that he's got to kill the warden and that there's a double header in Vegas yeah. that he wants to handle. Yeah. That's what made me wonder. The double header is that Dougie and Lorraine. Mm. And oh, that, perhaps. And that Hutch is the one who's, who's, who's has, contacted. Has or, do it. I don't know. Well, yeah, potentially. No, that's it's, a good point. It's yeah, just, it's possible. Yeah, very confusing. Yeah. Um, or it could be maybe Duncan Todd and Roger are the doubleheader. Yeah. Or, or Duncan Todd and Cooper. Ike yeah. is one of the ones who's now, like, who yeah. knows what's what's going on? <laughs> who's playing whom? Um, it's fun, though. <laughs> in, a, in either case, or in any case, um, Hutch is apparently totally fine with Mr. C and Chantal. Oh well, even getting it on. Even the warden, she's like, can Chantel yeah, talk yeah. to the warden beforehand? You yeah. know, so I feel like yeah, their relationship is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, they're, they're murderers and criminals. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's just you know yeah, part of the course. Exactly. Uh, but uh, she plants a wet one. Yeah. Is that, is that how we? That's how, how he says I think it? he describes it. Yeah. Uh, and then gives, she gives him. A, it looks like a bag of candy, like yeah, road candy, yeah, or chips or something. It's, like what you yeah. take when you went on a road trip. Yeah. I just thought that was a nice little human touch yeah. for our doppelganger. Um, and then Hutch and shoots the off. phone. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the and Hutch shoots the phone. So I wanted to ask you, Aiden. Mm-hmm. This is this is now Mr. C. Is he under the influence of Bob? Is Bob there? No, Bob's gone. Bob is completely Bob is gone, gone. You think has to be gone? I think. I think that's the only way to interpret the. The scene from the previous episode, because a um, lot of people were wondering if maybe he had. We talked about it, I think, on on Listening Post Alpha. They pulled the woodsman pulled Bob from Mister C's body, and there's no mark on his body or anything from that, you know, quasi cesarean section that they performed. At least that yeah. we can see. Yeah, it's um, like a bullet hole. The, the bullet hole is the only yeah. one. Yeah, but they pulled him out. Did they put him back at some point? We just didn't see it. Is that when he it sat could up? Be. I mean, Ray did run away before that stuff was all done theoretically too right so so we never saw that that's true so but I, I, I don't think i don't think it would go i mean the you see the pulling out i think that's the important thing i think that's of what course. wants you to focus on at this point but it so. made me wonder because we've seen two different versions of mr c we've seen the mr c that we have here who's in control and calm and cool and collected more or less and then we have the mr c that we in, we encounter in the prison who is kind of dark and has that distorted voice and seems kind of dead inside and i i wondered if that was mr c without bob if that if bob was somehow some sort of life force in a that's not the right word but the Mm. thing that gives the spark that makes mr c capable of being this mastermind or Mm. is this actually just plain old mr c without the influence again i i my interpretation so far has been that Bob was just along for the ride. Bob was with him at that every step along the way that Cooper's been there so far. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's going to remain, and it doesn't influence Doppelkoop's behavior or abilities in any way. Um, just I, based I, I, on... I, okay, yep. Yeah, no, just based on on the interaction with the mirror and the way the 
nothing really changed at any point along the way for me. I mean, I think Cooper's slow voice and everything, I think that has to do with electricity and the fact that he was through a wall. Yeah, you did say that. Speaking through that. I think that's more of my interpretation of why that's a slightly different Doppelkoop. But, I mean, yeah, really, at this point, who knows? I, I don't think there's anything to go on beyond the fact that now he's without Bob and that might change his plans. It might well, not. Well, it made me wonder know. if Bob has plans of his own mm. that are separate from Mr. C's. Yes. So maybe Bob, ha- you know, it seems like he was forcibly extracted from Mr. C. Yeah. So I don't think that was Bob's choice unless it was and it was part of his plan all along and he's finished now. He doesn't need to be there. But, it, but Bob always seemed like the kind of character that would inhabit in order to experience well like they said fear and the pleasures right and the way that Mr. C kind of goes after Chantal made me think that that was that was a Bob moment so I just saw it It, it's it's I think very much open to interpretation Um, but it's something that we'll put it to you listeners and this do you want to bicker some more about this should we get the bickering in I'm just wondering like (laughs) because I mean this is what we've talked about all along with Leland was you know was Bob driving him, or was this just Bob uh, Leland's innate uh, drives and desires well, that Bob but, was along the but ride that's, for? But that's that's the difference between Leland and that that was never Leland's doppelganger. Leland's doppelganger didn't escape from the lodge, okay, right? I know, yes, but I mean, I, I think the doppel the doppelgangers and the people are still just humans. They're, they're, Doppelkoop, as evil as he is yeah. and as badass as he is and everything, is still just a human creature. But he's not because he didn't die. So he, he was shot and he didn't die. Yeah, but so we don't know what the woodsman did. Well, we don't that, know what the woodsman did for him okay. or any of that stuff. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just suggesting, perhaps, <laughs> that yes. the doppelganger and Bob can exist separate from each other, which we mm-hmm. agree on. And that it it's just a different situation than the way that that Leland See, and Bob existed. I don't, I don't think it is a different situation. I, I Honestly, I don't at this point. I feel like the, Leland and Bob had the exact same relationship that Doppel Cooper and Bob had. They were both bad people who were doing bad things and Bob was feasting off the Garmin Bosey. But that. it's not... Okay, but it's Leland that was inhabited by Bob. And Doppel Cooper is now inhabited by... Or was inhabited by Bob. There's no difference there. The only difference is Doppel Cooper may have come from the Black Lodge himself as and taken over Cooper's body. But we, but I mean, David Lynch has said himself that this was that there were two Coopers. That Cooper split into two. It's not a whole person that's being inhabited by Bob uh, at that yeah. point, right? Yeah, fair enough. So it's yeah. not it's not the same situation. I think Leland uh. still had a conscience, and you know we saw that in in episode nine when he died, and and we had. Bob, even Bob saying there was yeah. a giant hole where his conscience used to be kind of thing, right? Yeah. So there was still, L- Leland was still there inside, and once Bob vacated completely, yeah. Leland came back, and and that's why I wondered if Bob vacating Mr. C would cause change, Mr. C yeah, to yeah. reassert himself completely, and then I'm seeing the same character as before, yeah, so okay, yeah. is Bob back, or has yeah. this always been Mr. C? Well, yeah, no, and I think that strengthens the argument that it was always Mr. C because um, the the fact that Bob leaves and there's no really visible change in, in Doppelkoop uh, leads me to believe that he was always this evil. Like, he didn't just have a hole where his conscience used to be. He no, never had not. a conscience or anything, right? No. Um, whereas, you know, Leland, even when he was inhabited by Bob, there were moments where he was tender towards Laura. And, you know, Fire Walk With Me really gets into that, you know, that, that on-off switch of going full Bob or not. Um, 
really explored that. Uh, and here I think it just doesn't apply to Cooper because there's no good in, in Doppelkoop. So you're making my argument for me. I think we're all, is, I think we're agreeing in just difference. in the roundabout ways. No, I. How do we bicker to agree? <laughs> I don't know. We are so messed uh, up. It's weird. <laughs> it's we did. so weird. <laughs> Glad we arrived at the same place. Let's shake hands on it. Yeah. All right. Well done. Um, back in uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Yes, mm-hmm. we get um, Bushnell. Uh, Mullins. Bushnell Mullins, who is Dougie's boss at Lucky 7 Insurance, yeah. being interviewed by the detectives Busco. Mm-hmm. Busco? B- Busco? I thought it was Busco. Busco. The guy, the sergeant comes in. Busco. I thought he says Busco. Hey, Busco! Yes? Maybe it's Busco. We'll call him Busco, okay? Um, so, and we found out some, some important information about yeah. Dougie, that he's worked at Lucky 7 for about 12 years, and that he had a car accident shortly before he started working there, and that's what... There's yeah. some lingering after effects, and yeah, that's what's caused so his slowness. So we wondered mm-hmm. about that. These were his episodes, maybe. These yeah. are memory loss or, or some other personality change that happened after this car accident. Um, Bushnell seems to really want to get to the bottom of whatever is happening. Uh, he's very concerned about the fact that there was the car explosion. His car was stolen and exploded, and then Dougie had this, was almost killed. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I love the fact that the detectives don't really seem, it's one of those slow shots where you just pan yeah. across the three detectives and they don't seem phased at all by this. They don't really seem. Well, they don't, they don't play their hand, you know? I feel well, yeah, like, I maybe that's tell. it. I can't, yeah, and I can't tell if it's just they're not thinking anything of it or if they just don't want to share it with yeah. Bushnell Mullins at this point. And it's funny that they're on a first name basis with them. Yeah. Um, you know they're not calling it makes Mr. It, Mullins. Well, it makes it it makes Las Vegas feel like a small town. It feels yeah. like Buckhorn. You know that the detectives would well, know the residents. My yeah, exactly. Uh, my the, my thought though was that perhaps these were the detectives that were committing fraud with uh, what's his name, mm. uh, Anthony, back in you know what and there I, there were detectives. I'm not sure that they were list that it was these these guys. Yeah, I don't I don't know. We'll either, have to go back I, and look. I feel like he. Bushnell Mullins at this point is not not entirely certain about that the cops are on his side at this point. Maybe. Because, um, you know, they're talking about why someone would try and kill Dougie and, well, they say it's all about money and all this stuff. And He does admit that insurance, you know, and yeah, working in the insurance industry, people hold grudges. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, you could be right that if not, if they're not involved with the, the Tony case, mm-hmm. they could be, they could have been involved at some other yeah. point. I mean, I'm sure insurance agents deal with the police a lot, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but why they would be on a first name basis with this particular insurance agent? It's like that's not the only insurance agency Company in, the, yeah, in Las, Las Vegas, Vegas sure, or in yeah. Clark County mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, either way, I I love the fact that at the end of that conversation, Bushnell makes this yeah, fist like he's, he's he's getting ready to fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to see you know yeah. box battling Bud come yeah. back and uh, yeah. And it's interesting because then he, he leaves and he goes to talk yes. to Dougie and he says, you and I are going to work on this together. Yes, and get some answers. Get some answers. And, and Dougie, his only line. <laughs> yeah, this episode, answers. yeah. Answers. Um, and it's, yeah, and it has me questioning, like, what are the answers? What is he looking mm-hmm. for? Is it, is it just the, well, the I think, insurance fraud? I think Bushnell just thinks that this is related to whatever Dougie has figured has out. Has figured out, yeah. Yeah. Which is very possible. Um, um, and, and then it's funny because as soon as... He kind of leaves. It's the timing on this this whole sequence is interesting because you have these long slow shots of the cops not saying anything, mm-hmm. him and them and Bushnell Mullins just you know staring back and forth. As soon as the door closes on him, they start talking again. Yeah. Um. And they they talk about how the detectives. Nothing. Yes, yes. Yes. Buscos. Yeah. The detectives <laughs> Busco. Yeah. Uh. They're talking about how there's nothing on Dougie prior to 1997. Yes. Um. No. What it was it? Social insurance, driver's, driver's license, license birth certificates, anything. Class yeah. records, tax records, yeah. nothing. So they think 
first of all, witness protection, which wasn't where I went. I went to identity theft right away, but there's, mm. he doesn't have an identity to steal. Yeah. That's uh, the exact opposite. So they think maybe witness protection. Uh, they say, oh, I've got a guy in justice. Well, yeah, Detective D. Fusco says that he's, well, his brother asks him if he still yeah. has a guy in justice. And yeah. um, he's like, yep, we do. And we'll run it by him. But um, then they have this, this like, this completely, yeah, well, yeah. it's a completely um, off-topic conversation about a busted taillight. Yeah. And one of the brothers is like, yeah, I fixed it to the tune of $239. And they, the middle guy, giggle face, I'm just going to call yeah, him Yeah, giggle face, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> I like it, yeah. Um, he just starts laughing about an Australian and a, and a set of pliers. pliers yeah. And it's and totally sit- no context, but yeah. they start laughing and we linger on the laughing. And then when it's a cut, it, and that's a very interesting cut because it's it feels very dreamlike. Yeah, you know, this whole sequence feels vaguely dreamlike, dreamlike again. Because mm-hmm. um, they pan across them laughing, and then they cut back, and they've they've restarted the conversation. Yes, the laughing has ended abruptly. Yeah, um, and they say like, "Should we talk, talk to him again?" Yeah, because it's like talking to a dog, and she does all the barking. Yeah. is what they say. So they don't really want to talk to Dougie again. But they but want to find out more. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's when D. Fusco gets the idea to um, grab his fingerprints off the coffee mug that that Dougie's been drinking. So he yeah. brings out more coffee, swaps the mug, and then uh, they start getting ready to print but, it. Yeah, you are right that it does. It, that does feel a little bit dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't quite abandoned the theory that Eileen Michaels and I. Uh, put out on 25 years later a couple weeks ago that the Dougie stuff is some kind of dream world not necessarily a literal dream world but some kind of dream world uh, scenario happening here it and that a, I this mean, there's a lot of alternate realities being confirmed in yes this episode, so, so that that could very well be yeah um, um yeah in either case we get the D Fusco gets the the mug and hands it to the sergeant who comes out and says that they've got an ID off the palm print. Yes. So, we, so, so again, we have confirmation that what we saw in part seven was when when Dougie was instructed by the the arm to squeeze his hand off. He literally did. Mm. He the palm of Ike's hand was left on the gun, yeah. and that's where they got the prints from, and it belongs to Ike. So they're in, old, their old friend Ike the Spikes yeah. fucked up. Yeah. So or fucked himself. Fucked I think himself. Is yeah, yeah. And they want to jump in on it. Yeah. <laughs> So they're so, yeah. so they're gonna go and find him at this motel. Yeah, where they've spotted him. Uh, and they're gonna let the Joneses go. And I love how this sergeant comes in, kind of the same way that um, the way that Deputy Jesse comes in. He has uh, an yeah, entrance. Yeah. Yeah, he has a yeah. grand entrance, and yeah. he's very big when yeah. he does it. And and it's it's not Twin Peaks in the way that that Deputy Jesse was, but it's distinctive to this show. I yeah. felt was really it was really cool. So. Well, um, I mean, he, as soon as he walks in, the music starts, which yes, is really it's Ike the, the Deer Spikes. Meadow Shuffle. Oh, okay. Yeah, from Firewalk with That's me. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that. I didn't. How I did you place forget it. about I that? I couldn't place it at all. I recognized it right away. My but I was like, goodness, Aiden. Where's it from? But anyways, yes. from Firewalk with me. Yeah. So, which was great because it was a beautiful callback, and and it fits. It's what they use throughout the rest of the episode with for Ike, um, for Ike and the, the detectives' storyline, yeah. Uh, story. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but, but before anyway. we go there, yes, we go back to uh, Cooper and Dougie with Janie in the the lobby of the mm-hmm. or the waiting room of the the cop station, um, and he's staring at the American flag. And he hears "America the Beautiful" start yeah. playing, um, which I thought was interesting. It's it's like a patriotic moment, which fits with Cooper. If you've read his autobiography, yeah. he's a he's a pretty patriotic guy. He has a few moments of disillusionment 
over the Vietnam War and uh, Richard Nixon specifically. But um, but for the most part, he is a he is a patriotic individual yep. who takes his oath very seriously. Very serious. So it feels like this is linking up to that. Yeah. The next link up, which I want to talk to you about, um, get your views on. Mm-hmm. So the next thing that he sees is a, a woman, an employee of the the police department, walks in, and she's wearing a very light pink sweater. Aiden, colorblind Aiden, thinks that it's white. It's white, but it's a I white think it's regular very, dress very light. top. But anyways, yeah, and she's wearing a black skirt. A black skirt and, and these red. bright red shoes. Yes. So the internet kind of went wild a little bit, thinking that maybe this was a reference to Audrey. I didn't read it as that immediately. I did actually. You I mean, did. Yeah, you know, it's just because the way they focused on the shoes. The only other shots of shoes we've got so far are Cooper's falling off. Yeah. And really, Audrey in season one. <laughs> I mean, Twin Peaks fetishizes a lot of things, but shoes are not really them, except for the case of Audrey, really, was the only one that we've really had to focus on shoes, particularly. Well, I mean, David Lynch likes to yes. focus on the shoes. So Absolutely. those are in the episodes that he's. Yes. We had, the, we had, like, the one arm. Man with yeah, it was a shoe, shoe salesman, salesman yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are elements that David Lynch probably picked up. Well, obviously, did yeah. include himself, yeah, personally. No, but, but but even the heel size and everything, it felt like Audrey's immediately to me. I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't make that connection yeah. immediately because my immediate connection was yeah. to Ruby Slippers. Uh, I've been on this Wizard of Oz kick. I know oh, um, well. David Lynch is on like a of course exactly. <laughs> so I've been watching kick, yeah. with that in mind because yeah. Andreas Hausko has written about it. Uh, John Bernardi has written about it. Um, Eileen and I wrote about it a bit in our articles. There's a lot of Wizard of Oz imagery going on here. And the fact that that Dougie lost his shoes when he came out of the electrical socket, which is the third thing that he focuses yeah. on, is the electrical socket that's on the floor by when the woman walks by. It's like at ankle height, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me think that he's thinking about how to get home. The shoes are what's going to lead him home, which is a popular theory that people mm-hmm. are, tra- are talking about. So... Um, so it, and I mean, there's nothing saying that it can't be both. Yeah, it could be a direct link to Audrey, and it could be a direct link to The Wizard of Oz. Yep, they are not mutually exclusive. Nope. And again, what Cooper slash Dougie is focusing on at any moment seems kind of haphazard. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it has it has some sort of resonance, but it's really hard to nail down what that resonance is supposed to signify. Right. At this point, I think uh, again, once the whole series is over, we can take a much closer look at it but yeah um yeah definitely worth noticing for sure so then we go to ike's motel yeah uh and he's making a call so he's leaving a message with jt he tried calling him on his other it it was jt right yeah i think so did it say that on the subtitles i didn't look at the subtitles no i was typing while i was listening it couldn't have been i can't think of anything else that it would have been because who is he leaving a message with who is jt JT? because it would have i mean it's not justin timberlake if only if only Justin Timberlake was a part of Twin Peaks. My my There's inner 13-year-old NSYNC loving... Actually, you I was were a Backstreet, Backstreet Boy Boys person, let's not lie. Either way. Um, um, yeah. I thought maybe... DT, but there's no way because that would be Duncan Todd. Mm-hmm. But D and J don't really sound the no. same unless Ike has a weird accent. Could be. I don't know. Either yeah, way, yeah, yeah. he's Anyways. leaving a message that says, no cigar, taking medical leave. Obviously, because his hand was squeezed off. Yeah. Um, so he packs up his room and, and leaves. Yeah. And he tries to leave. Tries to leave. Because the cops have assembled to get a quick shot of uh, the detectives arriving yes. at uh, outside the motel. And they uh, get ready. Ike tries to leave down one hallway. 
gets cut off and then when he turns around to go the other way uh the detectives stop him and they say we've got your palm print in fact we've got your whole palm yeah which was great <laughs> and then yeah you finally see he's and he's obscured it this whole time but he holds up his arm and you can see that it's just wrapped in a yeah a really thick bandage almost like a um a brace or something like that like a well yeah or something yeah whatever needs needs to happen to hold your hand together yeah, after exactly. it's been destroyed yeah, by no. A For former sure. FBI agent. And then he groans a little bit, which, again, is just yeah, it's kind of a worried groan. It's, yeah. it, was, it was funny. It humanized him a little bit. A little the bit, same yeah. way that his broken all did. Yeah. It, it, it yeah, made like, me feel oh, yeah. a little bit sad for him, which is horrible. Yeah, God damn dude. it, David Lynch. Yeah. Why do you do this to yeah. us? It's, it's great. Uh, so at that point, we go to Twin Peaks. And we I think, is this the scene? We <laughs> literally just watched it. Um, we get a little a little yep. intro of Night Bells, yeah. which is um, one of the famous songs from the original series. Yeah. yeah, and reminds me of James every time I hear it, which yeah. made yeah. me think maybe we'd see James, but we didn't. We didn't. We just got uh, Andy and Lucy shopping for chairs. Yeah, the same chair. The same <laughs> chair, just different fabric yeah. on the chairs. Um, and, it, and this is this is it was it was a fun scene, but it's a weird scene because here we have them. Lucy's looking at the beige chair. Andy's looking at the red chair. And they each are set. They want the beige chair. I want the red chair. And when Andy relents and says, no, Punky, you can get the beige chair, Lucy gets kind of excited and orders the red chair and and has this look on her face. Like, I wondered if this was all a game, if she really just wanted to see which one was his favorite and that, or, or if there's nothing to this at all. I'm really not sure how to read Andy and Lucy in these scenes because it's like how much of this is at face value and how much of this is supposed to be read ironically and and explain it to me aiden nope can't do it i have no idea uh i really just were like not sure i actually get what this is about (laughs) uh because it i mean in some ways it could just be read as like this is like a really good couple because they both kind of compromise in the end Mm -hmm. like andy says yes okay we can get the one you want and then she says you know she also compromises well you were nice so i'll give you the one that you want you know in some ways it's just showing that they're a really loving and caring couple for each other um but it's also you know there's just that oddity that they're treating lucy and andy especially lucy though this season like um she can't handle cell phones we've talked about all this stuff in the past um you know she has this excited chuckle which was cute when she ordered the actual thing right like she, the, she's amazed that that PayPal will yeah this works pay for yeah. this and then she can have it delivered to her house yeah it's it's it is odd a lot of people have commented on that just what are they actually playing at with with Lucy but um yeah I also wanted to bring up that before this episode started we were wondering what chair are they going to be talking about yeah. and the two things that I said I'm like it's either going to be Lucy's chair or Major Briggs's chair <laughs> and you were both and right. I was right on both counts but in different ways because <laughs> yeah, we were like oh this is the chair that they're yeah. talking about but no that she didn't actually give the line so no. um, we get that shortly after but yeah uh, before that, we go to uh, the Great Northern, presumably. Is it the Great Northern? I feel I'm, I'm like assuming so. it's just been renovated. A lot yeah. of people were wondering if this was the same place. We didn't really get a lot of the Great Northern and the or the Horn yeah, household. House, yeah. Um, but everything we did get of the Great Northern originally was that that pine, um, mm-hmm. the the Walled, walls, yeah, the yeah. warm wood, and this is like this feels like a, yeah more modern. Yeah, plaster yeah. walls. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But it's still like a vaulted ceiling. It looks like a very expensive house, mm-hmm. and we get. Um, Johnny Horn. Well, we get a voice yelling out for Johnny. Yeah. And we see Johnny running around first on a walkway and then presumably down a set of stairs and then through 
uh, an open doorway, and then we hear a crash, and a light flickers in the background. Meanwhile, the person who's yelling after him... Who, um, in the subtitles, is... It, the closed caption is credited as Sylvia. Yes, but we didn't know this until the no. credits. Yeah. Uh, the first time we watched it. I thought maybe it might have been a nurse or yeah, something Yeah, I assume like so, too, yeah. But she comes running out after him, and we see that he's run headlong into the wall. There's a, a hole in the wall, and there's blood f- coming from the hole. And we follow it down, and we see Johnny kind of sprawled out on the floor with blood on his face. And there's a picture, a broken picture, of Snoqualmie Falls, the, mm-hmm. the Whitetail Falls in... Um, in Twin Peaks, in yeah. the town of Twin Peaks, where the Great Northern is is sitting on, and and that's that's it's, yeah, it's it's a very strange again, scene. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of Ben when Ben hits his head at the end of. And it reminded me of Maddie because she, yes, her head hit um, hit a picture, a picture, yeah, and had glass and and also had a head wound in that general area. Exactly. But yeah, this is David Lynch's favorite head head wound location right. is running into something. Right. So um, it yeah. it it did make me wonder. I say that a lot. Mm-hmm. But this show makes me wonder. This show makes everyone wonder. Um, it made me wonder if we're going to see Johnny, like a head wound that will restore Johnny to um, mm. his full yeah, mental full capabilities. State, yeah. Because it was never indicated what what was causing him to be mm-hmm. um, mentally ill. Yeah, what or, was Audrey's line back in like the second or third episode? Well, she just said he had emotional problems. He had emotional problems, yeah. Um, but I think in... A, a draft of, of a script that was never aired obviously it's just a draft it was mentioned that this or it was hinted at that this was a temporary thing and that he would snap out of it eventually mm. so if this is the thing that's going to snap him out of it, it it is fitting that it would yeah. be a head injury that would cause him to snap out of it I also thought it was interesting that we we lingered on that photo of the falls and yeah. the great northern for so long because A it's a black and white photo and it looks fairly old um, and B we've we've had a lot of hints first in the original series that the Great Northern was important and originally we thought it was supposed to be or we know we've heard this that it was supposed to be the location of an entrance to the Black Lodge Mm -hmm. or some kind of it was supposed to be correlated with the Black Lodge Mm -hmm. in some way Um, and then obviously in this season we have the humming that's happening there and there it seems to be a the focus the focal point for some of the supernatural Mm -hmm. stuff that's happening And we know water in supernatural and, and folkloristic tendencies has um, important, or it is of importance, I guess, in the sense that uh, it's where spirits congregate and it's uh, like flowing water is, is a place that would attract spirits. And okay. so is there, is there something to the falls? Is the Are the falls what's causing They're some of this to happen? They're in the this time. So one of the sure. theories going around is that maybe this is an entrance to the White Lodge or something like mm-hmm. that because uh, you certainly don't get any kind of f- ominous and foreboding well, I mean, sense about the sound who, that we hear. Oh, and, yeah. No, it's true. They call it, yeah, in future scenes. We'll talk about that. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's Johnny and Sylvia. Johnny Still and haven't seen Audrey. Nope. But now we've got every we've got other horn. Every other horn. Has made an appearance. And including brand new horns. Yeah. No Audrey. No Audrey. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the episode and you're listening to this Why podcast listening to this for episode? some reason, yeah. Audrey is not in this episode. Yeah, she does not come. Who does come into this episode is... Charlotte Stewart! Betty Briggs. Betty Briggs. Yep. Uh, who I love. Who she's great. She's great. She's and so, she plays this this character yeah. so warmly. Remember yeah. when we, we weren't really sure about her in, oh, the, yeah, first in the first couple, couple of episodes? I mean, it's, it's an odd relationship they had, mm-hmm. and especially with Bobby. <laughs> 
but it morphed into it something so that was much. that was much deeper than mm-hmm. and than it ever was. And, and now we're picking up on the pieces of this yes. twenty five years later because they have a great relationship. Bobby walks in yeah. and says, "Hey, mom, like we're here." And she's like, she oh, "What's up?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, she offers him some coffee. Says, "No, actually, I'm here with the boss. Got to ask you some questions." Um, so Hawk and well, Sheriff first of Truman. all, she knows. It's no. like she she arranges herself. Like she expected this. Not not that day. No, I, don't think. I think I, she did. I think once the two of them walk in, yes, she realizes. Okay, this is the day that mm, everything. I I've think been she for. knew from the beginning. Okay, yeah, Bobby just never comes by. But anyways, no, no, yeah. no, because she's he's there with the fellas. He says. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Once she knows that they're yeah, they've arrived. Yeah, that's what I mean. Once they walk in, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so they uh, they ask, oh, we want to talk to you about Agent Cooper and what happened. Um, she just cuts them off, though. She just cuts them off. Because yeah. she knows that this is when the, Major Briggs told her everything that was going to happen 25 years earlier, the mm-hmm. day after Agent Cooper came to visit him. All right, listen to me. Right after Agent Cooper left that day, Garland pulled me aside, and he said that one day our son Bobby and Hawk and Sheriff Truman. I didn't know it would be this Sheriff Truman. He said that they would come and ask me about Special Agent Dale Cooper. He squeezed my shoulders when he told me this. I tried to ask him what it was about, but he, he, he wouldn't say any more. He just said, when they come to ask you about Agent Cooper, you give them this. She says, he told her to give them this. Yeah. And then, so she takes them over to this red plush chair in the living room. And she kind of, she well, she says the line that gives this mm-hmm. part its title, this is the chair. And uh, she presses a button on the side or, or something yeah, underneath, and a, yeah. a lever or a, An opening. a little yeah, door appears, opens yeah. up in the top of the chair. And she pulls out what appears to be some kind of Just a metal, metal rod. Tube. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Um, I thought it looked like lead. Maybe yeah, it was yeah, made it did, of yeah. lead or something yeah. like that. Which would fit with the some of the alchemy stuff mm-hmm. that people have been bringing up. Um, but then she gives this impassioned little, little uh, I don't know, reaffirmation, I guess, of... of to, to Bobby of what Garland thought of his son and how mm-hmm. he never lost faith in him, and I really thought Bobby was going to start crying yeah, again. Yeah, I was like, oh, more Bobby. But it makes yeah. it it brought up a lot of, of questions for me because some people have suggested that maybe Bobby is still involved with the drug running that's going on in Twin Peaks. Yeah, and that was my initial reaction too, but I I really don't think so. I think Bobby is taking over his father's. I think role. so, yeah, Beca- and I think that they wouldn't. You know, if Bobby is given being given so much importance right now, um, it would be odd for them to subvert that, and to have him being involved with, or to have him be involved with Deputy Chad, Chad and, and yeah. Richard Horn, um, who are so obviously bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for all the Twin Peaks does that though. I mean, it, it definitely does. does reveal more about these characters all the time, but. Not this season so much. Most no. of the characters. Well, no, we've seen no, so far. that's not true. We've said that already. That about who? About a lot of characters. 
that you get initial impression and then it's subverted right away. No, no, yeah, no, no. I know, but not in terms of like evil. established yeah, characters yeah. too. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, it could happen still for sure. Um, but yeah, here I got the sense that no, this is and this episode continues to support that because Bobby's prominence becomes uh, just grows as this episode goes on. Well, and it, his his connection to his father and Major Briggs's importance to the mm-hmm. story, I think. Helps that, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But we're prepared to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I just love the end of the scene, uh, before we move on, that she says, how about that coffee? And they're all just, yeah, yeah, let's do it. It's it's great, because she's offered it twice before, and they've turned it down. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to explore what that, that metal piece was? Like, wouldn't that be the first thing that you'd no, want to... No, because this is an emotional real thing they've just had happen. They need the I coffee to, to unwind a little. Um, Over in Buckhorn, yep. we get Gordon, Tammy, Diane, Albert... Um, walking into what Gordon calls the waiting room, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, it's pink. Yeah. It's a pink room. Yeah. Pink it was waiting a pink room. room. Mm. Um, Cynthia Knox and Dave Mackley come in. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, Lieutenant Knox. Lieutenant Knox and, and the Detective, Detective Mackley, yeah. who uh, we've met in previous episodes. Mackley tells Diane that she can't smoke in there and she gives the greatest line Love in the, episode. the entire episode. It's a fucking morgue. Uh, totally. Diane just needs to have her own series now. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fully it's on true. board just with this. Diane goes places. Is yes. what I called it. And, and, and yeah, yeah, and just like sits in rooms and, and does. just lips people off. Yep. Does I, I love bad how things. She, I love how she's sitting just like. Yeah. Yeah. Legs spread. She's like taking up as much space as possible. Yeah. She's just so very unhappy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she calls them fucking pansies, which yeah. I also yeah. thoroughly enjoyed um, as they, they leave. Uh, to go into the morgue and check out Major Briggs' body. Um, but then we get the camera zooms in slowly on her. She picks up her phone. Opens it and unlocks whatever. Um, and we see she's got a text message. And it is the message from Doppelkoop. Right. Um, and then we get a quick shot of her reaction. And so I, how did you read her I reaction? I don't know how to read her reaction. She seemed really impatient at the beginning. Like she knew she was going to get a text or she knew mm-hmm. she had received well, a text yeah, on the, the plane. Yeah, she was waiting and, on the plane. And so she seemed impatient that she she hadn't received it yet or whatever. So she was looking at her phone. She gets the text message. And then like I wrote that she was pensive or worried. Like she looks up towards the door and I thought, okay, maybe she's watching to make sure nobody else comes in and sees what she's got. Um, some other people have suggested that that she knows that this is from uh, Doppelkoop. Yeah, well, that's what I assumed right you, away. You did? Because that that's obviously a coded message. The only re- reason you would send a coded message is to someone who can decipher the code. So, so do you think that Diane that, is working with... That doesn't that doesn't track at all with what we saw in Part 7. No, but that, that she could be something. She was completely traumatized in that scene. Or she and played here, it really well. And she's been playing everyone really well. Possibility. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know either, and it, it it would hurt me to think that. But I mean, it doesn't mean that it can't be a message that original Coop and her set up twenty six years ago, and now she's got yeah. it, and she's like, uh, I don't know, because twenty six years from now, I'm going to send you a text message no, it, on it technology be, that that has never existed. It could be if I ever say this to you in a mm. tape, it means I'm in trouble and you need to come help me, or something like that. Right? I don't and know. They built this. I'm still. System. I'm. I'm withholding all of my judgment on this no, yeah. because I have I, literally is, no idea I what. believe that is the wise course of action um, but we're very curious to find out what uh, yeah what's going on with that whole situation um, so we follow Detective Mackley specifically in the hallway uh, yes. he basically lays out what's exactly happened exactly what's happened and there's some things that we have not seen thus far 
Um, so beyond uh, Ruth Davenport's head and Major Briggs' body, um, and Phyllis. Uh, yes, yeah, so Phyllis William is dead. Hastings' and wife has died. Been, yep, been the, sh- shot by presumably by her uh, lawyer friend. Mm-hmm. No, um, by by Doppelcoop, but they think it's yeah, by yeah, 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 exactly. Sorry, yes, according to Mackley, uh, by the lawyer friend, um, and then also found finds out that uh, Betty. Uh, William Hastings' secretary uh, died in a car explosion. Mm-hmm. Her car exploded and she died there. Um, and of course, Albert has a great one-liner related to that. What happens in season two? Which people are now wondering if this is now the setup for season two of The Return. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but with the the announcement that Twin Peaks is going to be at Comic-Con, I won't rule that out either. If they've decided to do a second season, then I'm I would be all fine, fine with that. that. Yeah. Or if they've already shot a second <laughs> season, I'm fine with that uh, too. I don't think they could hide that much. Well, you never know. They've hit a lot. That's true. That's so. true. Um, so then we also get the very important information that Hastings was researching a blog. He was writing a blog. Yes. He was researching yes. alternate dimensions. Yes. And he was working on this with Ruth and. Um, Two weeks prior to, I don't know if it's two weeks prior to the events on this day or two weeks prior to his arrest, he had written a final message on the blog that we met the major. Yeah. They they had entered the zone yeah, and had met the, major. met the major. And um, that yeah. sent oh, chills. Just, yes, so many. Because the blog is the blog that they were that they were looking at was about alternate dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, they entered this alternate dimension. They called it the zone, and they met the major. This, this, I mean, blows everything. <laughs> I don't know how many times we've said this already this season, but holy shit! Yeah, holy shit! And this blows this whole thing wide open. Yeah. Like what? What? What the fuck is going on? Yeah, <laughs> that is the question we are all asking now. Um, and yeah, and we get more later on. So we'll maybe wait to discuss this in its entirety. But it is worth mentioning that on the internet there is a site. Related to the zone. It is the it site. It is the site. Showtime um, has set up the entire, in, in its 1997 GeoCities glory, yes. they have set up the entire Welcome to the Zone site. Uh, WelcomeToTheZone.com. There are all kinds of Easter eggs on this site that people have been finding out since, you know, the first half hour after the episode aired uh, this morning. Yeah. Um, there are coordinates on the page that mm-hmm. lead you to locations in South Dakota. There are links to um, teaser trailers for the soundtrack and, and stuff related to the show itself, but also to um, grainy security camera footage of the convenience store, which apparently is located in South Dakota, which is not something that we had previously anticipated. We mm-hmm. assumed that it was in New Mexico because mm-hmm. of, of the proximity Um Plot-wise, to the bomb yes, that went off yes. in, in Part Eight, yeah. um, but no, the convenience store is in South Dakota. It's well, maybe near Buckhorn, according yeah, to the website. Yeah. yeah. So um, this is all very interesting stuff. I'm sure, even as we're recording this, there are more pieces of information coming out. There's some interesting stuff in the guest books. Some some entries that are very disjointed. They they don't really flow from one to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, the site was last updated in November 2015. We get dates here that indicate this was before that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know how much before, but at least a couple of months earlier, or a month or so earlier. We think. Um, <laughs> the final uh. entry in the blog guest book is from November of 2015 as well. Um, after 
presumably these events, yeah. the events that happened. So it's it's really really interesting, it and the fact that this site was put up there. Yeah. Um, I don't think this was something David Lynch had a hand in, but probably Mark Frost okayed it or, or yeah, had a hand in it. It seems did, like yeah. the kind of thing that he would do. Well, it's interesting because there was also the uh, inclusion of the poem or the incantation from last week's episode about right. the water and the well appeared on a website yes. that nobody could really explain how it got. Uh, yeah, I this website checked, had existed yeah. for many years before. Yeah, this, this, the website that the poem or the incantation appeared on is uh, a web forum that has been around for many, many years. But um, Reddit went over that quite deeply i'm not i haven't checked in to see what they found um but it seems like the webmaster of that particular forum works in tv and movies so maybe he had some insider information Mm -hmm. or or was involved and that information was planted there through him but um yeah so these little easter eggs are something that i think we need to uh pay attention to keep an eye on for sure well we know we have to pay attention to them but yeah keep an eye on them my my favorite part of this whole scene though was the exchange between Albert and Constance. Our yeah, two so that's favorite the, people. Yeah, I I mean I, I know Ugh. I know a lot of people on the internet, um, the interwebs, had very very uh, well at least on Tumblr had very distinct feeling that Albert was gay. So there's some dissatisfaction from them. I don't know. What I'm, does this have to do with his sexuality at all? I because because now people are shipping Constance and Albert. Well, and yeah, because people they're who an are adorable angry couple. About that, I'm just just saying. like Albert and Truman were an adorable couple. It doesn't matter <laughs> what their their sexuality. And Albert is. and Cooper were. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm just saying. It's I'm okay. laying out the facts. Right, it's just right. something that I've noticed is in some of the conversations. I think Constance could happening. be great with anybody. But that's just well. Me. And I I again. So we have Diane spinoff. We have um, <laughs> Constance Constance and Albert. Well, yeah. Yes, yeah, that yeah. one. For HBO and then, special, yeah. And then <laughs> Constance and Albert, I want them to have yeah, yeah. a spin-off uh, Yeah, too. sitcom, yeah. yeah. The two of them. Um, because they do, them. they have this great little exchange about... Marbles. And Bill Hastings, so... Yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah, Albert and Cole separate themselves from the group to go talk. Um, and it's kind of just rehashing stuff we already know, like the fact that Major Briggs would have been 72, but he, they think he died 25 years ago in that fire and at the place. Which and the is, body is only of a man in his 40s. Yeah, exactly. Um... And then they say, well, and Cooper knew uh, Major Briggs and Cooper's here now on the loose. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, that's something worth going, worth looking at. Um, Constance, they go back in. Constance shows them the ring from Dougie. Yeah. uh, With Janie's name on there. Um, And then they say, well, we need to talk to this William Hastings. I think that this is setting up, we've been saying this for a couple of weeks now, but um, now that the ring is in or at least the FBI has knowledge of the ring, and we have detectives in Las Vegas who have Agent Cooper's fingerprints, um, I think we're going to start seeing within the next couple of weeks this is going to come together and they're going to find Cooper. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to find Dougie Coop. Yeah. Even if they don't find Mr. C. I yeah. think that's that's all going to come to a head soon. But I hope so. We go back to Twin Peaks, and we get a long scene of Jerry afraid of his foot. But is it his foot? Well, it says it's not his it foot. It says it's his not foot his foot. Tells him, his foot I am tells him, I am not your foot. And it's an interesting voice that, that the foot takes on, because it feels like it's very similar to the arm, when yeah. the arm's talking. Yeah. Um, it's not backwards no. either. It's, it's again, real life. Wondering, and I mean, he's in the woods. Yeah. So is it potential that he's, Jerry is going to become a tree? <laughs> like, is his foot going to implant and he becomes just like the arm? I'm just saying, Jerry might evolve here. So, and <laughs> and we'd talked a lot um, just as, af- right after we'd kind of watched, saying like, you know, the whole thing that David Lynch is talking about 
uh, or using here and Frost, obviously, uh, saying that, you know, drugs connecting you with another plane. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Dr. Jacoby, had, that was a lot in Dr. Jacoby's entry in uh, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry's talking about taking him to another level of consciousness. And here, you know, again, he thinks he's high. Is it just that he's high and the foot's talking to him? Or is this a supernatural event that's that's occurring out well, in the woods? Well, I, I really, I don't think it's just that he's high. I think that he was high or is high, but but that, that's there's him something, something, yeah, or or it's happening concurrently and it's amplifying it or something in a way that that yeah makes it accessible to Jerry on this level, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's strange how that's happening, but um but I don't think it's literally just that he's high. Yeah, it's, but it, it, again, it's it's a question of how it's interacting with characters like Red and the the coin and Richard Horn yeah. on the 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 drug. Yeah. Um you know, so there's lots of that going around and is it just muddying the waters for us a little bit maybe? Are we just questioning like is he just high right now? And that's the whole point of this is to like keep us questioning. Yeah, it like it, it does because it does. Down. It keeps you off kilter. You're you're not really sure what you're seeing, and whether it's real or really happening or mm-hmm. some kind of altered state. Yeah, we as viewers aren't really sure. Yeah. Like, are we high? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting, but it it definitely is much more. When we first saw the part one, and Jerry and Ben have their first conversation, and you find out that that Jerry's involved in you know legal drugs legal drug mm-hmm. dealing um we thought that was just a funny way of of referencing current events and the current state of drug laws in Washington state but um but this is turning into something much bigger and yeah. it's it's much more integral to the story and i really like how that's evolved and it yeah. makes me wonder about all the things that we're going to be able to watch back like even if we watch them now and and rewatched parts 1 through 8 in light of part nine, we catch things. And, and how is that going to be when we finish part 18 and mm-hmm. we watch all the rest of them, all the little pieces that yeah. like this, is, this really is a show that rewards rewatching. Yes. Just Cannot like say that show. enough. Yeah. Uh, and my favorite part at the end, he grabs his leg and like yanks himself yeah. off. Yeah. It's, just, it's a brilliant moment of yeah, comic, just physical comic, comedy. Yeah. Um, so we go back to the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station um, I noticed right away that Lucy is dressed differently. She's not wearing the same outfit. So is this another day, or are we seeing some kind of dual timeline happening? Which we've already mentioned Bill has has information about alternate dimensions. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing alternate timelines or some kind of thing happening or here? Was that, or was that scene with Lucy and Andy just a random scene and he, yeah. they filmed it and they're like ah, oh, we'll just throw it in sometime and they just did yeah maybe there. it is who, uh, <laughs> like that's how I, I interpreted it I, you pointed out the costume change and I was like oh I don't think that matters at all well but I think it does right. matter I yeah, think everything that we're seeing matters and so it, it um, if it is some kind of alternate dimension it brings me back to the scene in part one where we first saw Lucy and she says it could make a difference there's two Sheriff Trumans Sheriff's Truman mm-hmm. <laughs> um and she says some lines twice in different ways that don't make sense if it's the same scene, if it's the same time mm-hmm. frame happening. But if we're seeing two timelines merging together at some point, then yeah. maybe she is saying it could make a difference in two timelines and that they're being superimposed on top of one another in a way that I like. Yeah, I know it's a possibility. I don't I, know. Yeah. That just I, made me think of that again. No, it's fair. Um, um, but, but we get, we get, Chad eating lunch in the in the conference Chatting room. It up. Yep. Um, 
and I brought this up when we were watching it the second time here, that food doesn't really seem to be something that brings people a lot of joy in this mm-hmm. in this season. We only had the one character so far who mentions the pie at the double R. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget her name, the teacher, the teacher from yeah, yeah. part six. Yeah. And everybody else seems to if we see them eating it's it's just like shoveling the food in their face it's mm-hmm. it's jack in the diner with um mr c and daria and yeah. ray um just shoveling food into his mouth or chad yeah. here eating from two different like microwave yeah and a bowl of soup hungry men things. Yeah. yeah he's just like shoveling food in his face he's not enjoying the food it's yeah. not it's not a sensual experience the way that food was from agent cooper but Dougie Coop yes, has loves coffee, yeah the coffee yeah. and the people around him enjoy the food yeah. much more like um, his friend there who tried the green tea latte for the first time and all mm-hmm. of a sudden had his taste buds exploded for yeah. him right like it's um it's interesting just maybe watching because food is something that we've brought up many times in the past has has significance and and is very important in the world of Twin Peaks and it's really not being treated with the same level of reverence right now as it used to be so yep is that noteworthy we're gonna keep an eye on it mm-hmm. uh so they kick chad out uh rightfully so of course well, well chad just shouldn't exist but yeah so Aww. they do shove him out <laughs> and then uh they they're start examining this this rod and cone or whatever steel lead thing it is um mm-hmm. looking for like a way to open it and bobby's off in the corner smiling and yeah like, he giggles so to himself yeah. and he says, and uh he because he knows exactly what it is yeah he says my dad used to brought one of those home once and i know how to open it and they said okay let's do it and they go outside again and again mm-hmm. this is one of those <laughs> pacing things where they spend all this time going inside kicking chat taking kicking chat out takes like 35 40 seconds yeah. because he's he has to bundle up all his food and just Waited at the door chat. for Hawk to open it. And yeah, he's the worst. Um, uh, so here they go trundling out again. Um, Bobby takes the thing, throws it hard on the concrete. Um, it bounces. He picks it up and then he brings it up to his ear, and the camera hears it, and it's it's vibrating. It's, it's yeah. There's like a there's a hum. Yeah, it's yeah. a hum. It's yeah. like uh, it reminded me of a tuning fork. Mm, exactly. And the, yeah. the sound that you would get from a tuning fork, but it's not the same tone that you would get from like a standard tuning fork. Yeah. Unless you have okay. different different tones for tuning fork. Any tuning fork that I've had. It's it's uh, one of our Twitter uh, followers has written to us and said that it's a D sharp is the the, the, the note the the tone that's being played. Um, anyways, yeah, he holds it up to uh, Sheriff Truman and Hawk's ears. Mm-hmm. Hawk has this line that kind of set me off a little bit because I, I didn't know why it was so serious. He's like, "What the hell?" Like he's he's yeah. really scared of it almost, um, which is odd. Um, and then I'm not scared. It's not scared. It's just surprised it. that okay. that this thing would make a noise. It looks like a solid rod. It doesn't look like something that would have any kind of, you know, musical quality to it. But it is. It's playing a note, and and Bobby listens to it until it stops humming. When and it then clicks, he, and there is a click. There's yeah. a click sound. Yeah. But so then he hucks it at the ground again, and when he brings it back, it opens. It's opened. Yeah. Um, and inside is a roll of two pieces of paper. Yeah. Um, Sheriff Truman pulls them out. And the first one is basically instructions for a location yeah. and a time. It says 253 yards east of Jack Rabbit's place. Before leaving Jack Rabbit's place, put some soil from that area in your pocket. And then there's a time, 253, and a date, 10-1 and 10-2. Which no, 10-1 so and 10-3, wasn't it? Because it was two days from now and then two days after that, No, wasn't two it? days from now and the day after The day that. after that? Okay. Yeah. Um, so October 1st and October 2nd. Yeah. Um, and Bobby instantly knows where Jack Rabbit's place is because this is somewhere near 
he says our station, which I'm assuming is listening post alpha, yeah. where Bobby used to play with his dad as as when he was a kid. Um, they used to make, make up, up stories. Yeah, yeah. And Bobby was the one who gave it the name Jack Rabbit's Place. So this all has been orchestrated for Bobby to fi- figure it out. Yeah. And it, it brings Bobby to such a central point in the story that it's it's that's another reason why I just can't believe that he would be involved in any kind of drug yeah, running. Yeah. Because they're setting him up for such importance. Now, unless that importance makes him stop being, you know, the drug running jackass that mm-hmm. he might be yeah. I just he, he seems very genuine I think that this is this is a genuine yeah. thing when his mother seemed to have a pretty good grasp yeah, of his character right? that I, you were far from where you are yeah, today exactly. you are not the drug dealing jerkwad that well, you and, were and, and, and but your father knew you would be yeah. and even Sheriff Truman is like your Major Briggs saw all this mm-hmm. whatever this is he yeah. says but he, yeah. he saw that all of this was supposed to happen and, and was counting on all of this to happen yeah in a way that suggests he had foreknowledge of it. So um, so it seems to all be happening according to some yeah. divine plan yeah. that and Major it, Briggs yeah. is intimately this is involved. what I'm saying with. is that Ms. Major Briggs obviously was in some way predicting the future here. Yeah, clearly, or he had been to the future, the future and, and knew that this it. was coming and, and so on. And so, that's, that's potential too. And it, so it does question of what uh raise the question of what double cooper's up to you know right. is he already been in the future is he trying to predict the future right now yeah. as well is that what the coordinates are forced to yeah. give him access to this um and then you know it has all those other questions about jeffries and he was he in the future was it past he doesn't know yeah. there's there's a lot going on um but the last thing we get is the, the readout from listening post alpha right there's the second season. piece of paper that truman didn't see but was rolled up behind mm-hmm. the first piece of paper it is the same printout, and it has Cooper, Cooper, just the two Coopers. Yes, cuts out the third one at Coo, um, and Hawk uh, says right away, two Coopers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was definitely another chilling moment there. Yes, I'm just like yeah. Over in Buckhorn, we get uh, a nice long scene of nothing. Diane, Tammy, and Gordon on the smoke break. Um, doesn't really serve much purpose. I thought maybe that uh, that Gordon was going to come out and ask Diane about what was on the phone or something. Like maybe he knew that oh, she had received yeah. a text. I don't think so at this point. But yeah. um, they literally just talk about the past and how they used to share cigarettes and go on smoke breaks together back in the day. And and so there's two things in this scene. It's way too long. Like literally, it's not way too long. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Nothing happens. Literally. Just like the sweeping scene. Yes, exactly. And that pissed off a lot of people and it pissed me when the, when these scenes of nothing happening. It does. It adds a great um, change of pace from, you know, we were just getting this really key information about, uh, you know, what's going to happen in two days in Twin Peaks uh, is really, really key, right? Um, but uh, here we go into a scene of... The, honestly, the most telling thing for me was just how awkward Tammy looks. She always looks awkward. She always looks awkward. But that here has was, nothing to do with with the scene itself. That's no, but it was. It was just amplified. No, no, it was like he wanted us to focus on how awkward Tammy no, looks. No, no, no. He wanted to, us to focus on how cool he looked leaning up against the wall because <laughs> nobody leans up against a wall like Gordon Cole, except okay. maybe Cooper. It's just an FBI thing, maybe. Uh. It's a suit. It's totally just the suit. I, I, I love the suit. And and then smoking a cigarette, it's it's cool. I, Gordon Cole has always been cool. Yeah. All right. No. Sure. sure. I love this scene. I thought it was great. You hated it. I hated it. 
Let's move on. <laughs> Back inside, uh, Tammy goes to interview Bill about the blog, and uh, he tells her that they did go to a different dimension. He's been interested in the subject for many, many years, but Ruth was the one who was good at uncovering the hidden records. That's why they worked together. So um, she had indications that if we went to a certain place at a certain time, he says, we would enter the dimension and make contact with a certain person. So we went there. And that's what they found the major who was hiding or hibernating, hibernating as he said. Yeah, yeah. Um, the major wanted to go to a different place and asked them to get him numbers, yeah. coordinates. Yeah. So it's the second character looking for coordinates. I'm presuming they're the same coordinates? Yes, I would think so because uh, he didn't have them. Ruth had oh, them. Oh, yeah, no, they would have to be the same ones because yeah. because that's what Mr. C sent Ray to get. To yeah, get exactly. Was the coordinates that Bill's secretary had. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so she found these coordinates in a military database yeah. and she wrote them on her hand so that she wouldn't forget what they were. Last Thursday, they brought... Major Briggs the numbers, mm-hmm. but others came in and grabbed the major by the neck and pushed no, Bill down. Bill Hastings. I the, thought they said they grabbed that was me. the major by the neck. But anyways, yeah, yeah, they're bad people. Bad people. They're roughing up and everybody. And they want to know Bill's wife's name, so he tells them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then there's a, a kind of a break in the conversation, and Tammy asks him to identify the major on um, a standard lineup sheet. Yeah, lineup sheet. Yeah. He picks out Major Briggs. And she asked Mr. Clinton date it. And when he does, the date he gives is 920. Okay. We looked at this closely because there was some doubt. Maybe some. Maybe he was writing 929. But it looks pretty clearly like It looks, yeah, pretty clearly. So September clearly. 20th would put it nine days before uh, the dates in Twin Peaks yes. that we've just seen. So yes. potentially this is nine days earlier. Unless it's a messy tell. nine and then it's the same date. But, yeah. But it, it, it doesn't seem like it. It really does look like a zero. So, mm-hmm. um, But it also doesn't match up with the blog that says that November was the last time that the blog was updated. So, um, Well, unless it's 2016, in which case that the blog yeah. was just updated. And but the blog was – no, but the blog had been updated two weeks prior. Two weeks prior, prior that's so, true. So it, I think it has to be. Unless they – the – People who set up the website on the thing aren't tying it in exactly. Well, maybe, with the, but either way, um, it's it's interesting to have a firm a firm date. We don't mm-hmm. know the year, but at least we know that it's September twentieth or 29th. And we do know it was twenty five years after yes. whatever. Yes. So, and that if that does was eighty nine, then that would be fourteen. And if it was nineteen ninety one, yeah, yeah, then. Um, so. Then yeah, they, he describes what happened. Uh, at, they gave the major the numbers yep. when they were in this place, wherever it was, and they he Bill Hastings described it describes what happened as the major floating up. Yeah. Um, and then he said some words, Cooper, Cooper, right before his head disappeared. Yes. <laughs> and it's so creepy to think about this, but I mean, obviously, it's very similar to uh, Fire Walk with Me, Leland in the Red Room, floating up, floating up. Yeah. Um, and the what changes in this case is that. His head disappeared. So Major Briggs' head disappeared when, when they're in this place. Um, and he describes it as beautiful. Yeah. And uh, and then Ruth was dead all of a sudden. Right. So Ruth died in this alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. It seems like Major Briggs died in the alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. And his head might, might be in this alternate dimension, mm-hmm. which is where Cooper saw his head in part three, mm-hmm. out on the top of the submarine spaceship thing. Um, so is that where Ruth's body is? Is that why we haven't found it? Yeah. Um, so Ruth is dead in this alternate dimension when Bill wakes up, or Bill is holding her in his arms, but then when he wakes up, he's at home. Yeah. Um, and then he 
once again professes his guilt that he didn't kill her. His innocence. Or, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Bill professes his innocence, says that he didn't kill Ruth. But the major didn't kill Ruth either. That was Tammy's question. Yeah. There were so many people there. Yeah, yeah so who the were bad. the people that were there? Yeah, was I the wondered, woodsman? I wondered if it was the woodsman at first, yeah, but then... I, I assume they were in the convenience, above the convenience store. That's just... That was my initial take, is that this really? was Because the convenience store, it seems like it's a place where the Tremons were there, the woodsman, Bob, everybody's But that seems there. like a bad place, so why would Major Briggs be hibernating there? I don't know. I don't think it's the above the convenience store, and I think that the other people might... One of them might have been Ray. Mm. So yeah, that Ray possible. was the one who killed... Ruth and the major. Yeah, or red. <laughs> oh, we haven't. Yeah, even we haven't even red. gone. To I don't red, know why yeah. you would think that, but oh, because um, he's a bad dude and he's obviously a sorcerer. But anyway, so well, <laughs> Richard Horn was the one who did it. Let's just bring all the no, bad dudes. No, he doesn't in. know anything about magic. Oh, but red, I'm just saying, it's, red is gonna come back. Just saying. Uh, yeah, but then he goes into like this really kind of heartbreaking spiel about how. He and he was in love with Ruth. He didn't want to hurt her. And they had all these plans to go to the Bahamas yeah. and drink little drinks and soak up his, the sun. Yeah, and go scuba diving. Yeah. And you know he has this really sad line: "I want to go scuba diving." Yeah. And it again it that that scene for me it was again yeah I was playing with that melodrama mm-hmm. to the point of I was almost wanted to laugh because mm-hmm. it seemed like it was going just a little bit too far. But at the same time it was kind of heartbreaking because this guy has been thrust into these crazy events. Yeah, he just wants someone to explain them. them and, yeah. and, and he begs and Tammy them. to help yeah. him, yeah. Meanwhile, Albert calls him a fruitcake, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, at that point, you do laugh. So yeah. it's it's a nice little catharsis after the scene mm-hmm. where you're not supposed to laugh, but you want to laugh, and then you get Albert allowing you to laugh. Yeah. So thank you, Albert. <laughs> Once um, again. So we go back to Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nighttime shot of the Great Northern Hotel and we get Laura's theme playing over um, over the falls mm-hmm. and we head into Ben's office again and Ben and Beverly, Beverly once more sorry Ben and Beverly once more looking for the source of this humming sound in Ben's office mm-hmm. and apparently security has been by and trying to figure out where the sound is coming from and they trace it back to that corner with the the lampshade. That's where it seems to be playing the loudest. Um, Beverly says that it's a mesmerizing tone and that it it's kind of... It is. It's a, like mm-hmm. a calming sound. Yeah. And Ben says it's like the ringing out of a monastery bell. Yeah. And it's you, and you, otherworldly. Exactly. And you, you and others online had pointed out that it sounds like maybe a Tibetan singing bowl yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, it has that kind of religious intonation it to it. It does. You know? And other people have suggested maybe it's it's related to like a monastery, maybe something similar to where um Annie might be or mm. came from. But I really think that this is this is like hinting at eastern more than, you know, western occidental uh religion, yeah. 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 Christianity nope. stuff. But but sure. still it's it's interesting that um that it is this this tone. It's a half it's a half tone off of the tone that Bobby hears and Bobby Hawk and Sheriff Truman here um, coming from the rod, mm-hmm. but um, but they they have a similar resonant quality to them. So uh, Ben and Beverly uh, kind of stand side by side and their heads tilt together a little. Well, they kind bit. of bump into each other at first. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but they're they're intent on this moment together, and then they kind of turn into each other and. You know, there's the, there's the the romantic moment. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like they're gonna they're gonna kiss and everything's gonna go for it. And then Ben kind of gently lets her down. He's like, you know, I can't do this. I don't know why it is, which is mm-hmm. funny. It's interesting because you know, if he was good Ben and he was motivated by purely 
uh, altruistic reasons. He would he wouldn't need a reason why. Just I can't do this. It's not right. You're married. Yeah. End of story. Um, but he says I don't know why it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that just might come back later. Yeah. Um, but then she says you're a good man, Ben. Yeah. Um, and you know it just bring me back to the last thing we saw of Ben in season two, which was you know I want to be good, and it felt do so good. good. Yeah, yeah, it felt yeah, so yeah. good to do good. Um, and now here he is. Continuing. External validation from from mm-hmm. maybe the only person that he's had any kind of sexual tension with since Catherine, really. <laughs> I doubt it. I'm sure there's <laughs> no been other that we've women seen. In, yeah, yeah, that we've seen. Yeah, so no, sure, it's yeah. um, and that is interesting that that people have brought it up. There was a wonderful article last week talking about how this is a show that the, the return is a show that is showcasing older actors, mm-hmm. and here we have. Ben Horn and Beverly, who are, you know, played by actors who are not spring chickens, and they have incredible amount of chemistry and, and sexual tension between them, um, which is rare on TV. Mm-hmm. Usually, these these storylines are played out by people in their twenties, so um, that's cool. Yeah, I like it that. Is. Yeah. So uh, then we go to the roadhouse, yes. and it's it's finally the end of the episode, yeah. and. So, and we, we have a, a DJ on stage. It's DJ Hudson Mohawk, who's doing, uh, really, it, it's a new song for him that he okay. debuted, I guess, on the okay. episode last night. So if you're interested, go check that out. Um, and, yeah, what do we get? We uh, get Chloe we get, and Ella. Yeah. Ella who, is played by Sky, Sky Ferreira, yeah. who's someone I don't know at all. Uh, <laughs> but you were like, oh, that's Sky Ferreira. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it is, they're two... I would say uh, drug-addicted women in the yeah. town of Twin Peaks. Um, we, we looked at them and we said, these are the kind of women who we expect to be at the Roadhouse. I, see, I see they're a step below the usual Maybe a little crew. bit. They, they, but they might, they're more like, you know, when they can afford to uh, buy beer at the Roadhouse, mm-hmm. they do go there, but otherwise they're they're too strung out and, and broke to, to actually afford it. Um, but here they are. Um, uh, what's her name? A- the angel Allison? Chloe no the other one Ella Ella uh, is talking <laughs> about how they well they start off with this thing this weird exchange you know that zebra's out again mm. and then they chuckle don't know what that's about might be about nothing might be about something we don't know um, and then they t- uh, Ella's talking about how she lost her job uh, she got a new one uh, how did she lose it she was high all the time at least she thinks so. She can't mm-hmm. even remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you lose a job flip- serving burgers? And then they find out, where'd you get your new job? Cross street flipping burgers or yeah. serving burgers. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a peer into the, you know, service industry wasteland that is yeah. <laughs> in Twin Peaks. Um, we assume maybe one of them was the double R, but can't really tell. Yeah. Um, and then she's complains about this rash she has under her armpits. Yeah, it's a pretty horrific... I mean, just the sound effect of uh-huh. it is this, like, horrible scratching, and it looks very painful. Yeah. Um, and I, my, yeah, my immediate assumption was that this was a side effect of the drugs that they're yes. on, that this is... People have called it Sparkle. I don't yeah. remember if that was actually referenced in the show or not. Yeah. It is. I don't husband. know. Okay, but in any case, the, the designer drugs that, that Richard and others are pushing on the town... Uh, you know, the, one of the side effects of these is that you develop a rash, which is obviously going to kill. But her they focus, they focus very, very yeah, intently on on, on this rash, so it's going to come back at some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, they, and they they ask. Then Ella says, uh, "Have you seen that penguin?" And they start laughing, and yeah. Chloe has no idea what she's talking about. And it's it's really bizarre. It's you know, penguins, zebras, black and white 
uh, animals here. Are they members of the lodge in some way? Is that something that they've seen while they're high on these drugs and it's like a shared experience for them or something? Well, I think it's it's probably related to the drugs and they're just talking about some kind of hallucinatory experience that happens when you're on the drug. Um, it's been brought up that penguins are, are a derogatory slang term for nuns. So um, people are trying to make a connection between that and, and Annie. Um, there's also the fact that uh, Cooper does make a, a joke about penguins in the first, in season, yeah, season two. two. So, yeah. um, but it's probably something else all, in, all together yeah. that just happens to correlate to yeah, what they're talking about right yeah. now. Yeah, it's yeah. I think well, it has more to do with the drugs. But, yeah, I think so too. Because um, it does just seem like a random drunk, drugged conversation yeah. that happens. Yeah, at this point, yeah. Right before we get Au Revoir Simone yeah. up on stage. Playing us out again. Yeah. Um, and, and that's yeah, the end of the episode. That's the episode. I will tell you three things. Okay, so we talked with John, our good friend John. Yep. Uh, we asked him our three questions. He gave us three answers. First question, what's going on with Diane? And boy, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a big one. Yes. His um, answer? Yes. I personally think Doppel Cooper is messing with her, although I wonder if it's less about who she is than who she's connected to. Hmm. In the There Will Be Drinking uh, recap of part six... Kate and Murda, mm-hmm. their names, uh, mentioned the exact style of decorating, which is mid-century modern, um, was the same style that was used in New York, as well as Diane's apartment, I think, is what he's getting at here. Yeah. Um, in any case, therefore possibly creating a connection uh, that Diane could be benefiting from knowing who the mysterious billionaire is in some capacity. Um, Doppel Cooper, if he's not the billionaire himself, could be messing with her so that she delivers a message to the billionaire for him, or if he is the billionaire... He could be revealing to her that he that he has been the billionaire all along, which is yeah, it's it's a little more complex than what I took from it. But um, there's there's so many layers that could be there. Right. It's hard to tell which ones are going to be picked up at any any point in time. Yeah. No. And and that that is a good point that maybe this is uh, this is some kind of a she doesn't know who the sender is. Yeah. Because it does say unknown. It does, it's yes. not like she has a, a, a name yes, in the, the her phone or whatever for who yeah. this is. So maybe it is just some unknown person. Um, we know that it's Doppelcoop, but maybe yeah, she does doesn't. She? I yeah. mean, again, I, I go back to just the fact that you wouldn't send a coded message unless someone How do you was, know it's coded? Well, I guess... it doesn't mean anything. Like, around the dinner table, the conversation is lively. That doesn't mean much of anything to anybody, usually. Right. But it, it we don't have any context for it. It's just a... That's what I'm saying, is that within Diane's context, I think she would have... She would have she, more It has context. a meaning for her. And I think yes. she would be able to associate that meaning with the sender, whoever it is. And obviously it's Cooper. So I think that... But I don't think... She, maybe she doesn't know that it's Cooper. Maybe she just... Maybe it is the mysterious billionaire and she doesn't know who the mysterious billionaire uh, is and yes. they're just sending it. Yeah, no, it's true enough. Yep. There, there's many possibilities there. Uh, question number two is, what, if anything, are we still seeing out of this out of sequence in terms of the plots that are being exposed here? 
And he answers with, it appears that Buckhorn and Twin Peaks and Vegas are all lining up in time, but I also, as things are all about mortality in the return, would not be shocked if either A, the barriers are breaking down between time zones, as John suggested in his Sparkle article on 25 Years Later, uh, published late last week, or B, that time is collapsing in on itself and some reverse Big Bang metaphor we don't yet have enough information to explain properly. Um, which is something that we've kind of talked about uh, in this episode of our podcast and, and in the past that maybe there's some timelines here converging on one another mm. in kind of like a big crunch yeah, kind of thing. situation, yeah. Um, which may go a long way to explain what we saw in part seven with the ending in the diner and the switch of the patrons, mm-hmm. um, some of the stuff that has happened in, in past episodes with characters repeating themselves and that kind of thing. Maybe that could be part of what these date cons- yeah, cause, discon- yeah yeah sorry date discrepancies yeah are suggesting are connecting yeah, with, yeah yeah no that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i do like the idea that uh well i mean I, I just want i want somebody on the internet to write out every mention of a date that we have thus far <laughs> in the actual return there are two. that are verified <laughs> well exactly there there's aren't so many. few of them there's so few it would be really great to to just lay them out well no somewhere. to have to have like some kind of a timeline where mm-hmm. you figure out just based on um, mentions and this and happened before this happened yeah. and even if you don't have an exact date to be yeah. able to figure it out um, I'm sure somebody has done that. done that yeah maybe yeah. maybe I just have to dive in dive into the Reddit or somewhere like that so third question is do you think Bill and Ruth knew that they were supposed to meet the major and that he was the certain person Bill mentioned to Tammy during his interview uh, John responds with it sounds based on their blog that they knew they'd meet the major but maybe only f- on their second trip into the zone I think the first time they met him, it went a lot like us before a new episode of Twin Peaks. We have literally no idea what we'll get from a new episode, even if we are sure uh, of, of the material that will be covered. Um, so <laughs> I think that's a great metaphor for it because, yes, I, I feel like they, they knew that there was a mystery out there and they had an idea that if they go to these coordinates, they'd have that meeting with a person, a certain person. But I don't think they knew who that person was. That's the way I read it when uh, Bill Hastings was describing that meeting, that initial entry into the zone um, was that they didn't know exactly who they were going to be meeting or what was going to be happening there. It might be Philip Jeffries still. He's another loose cannon on the uh, mm-hmm. extra dimensional train. Radar. Yes, that we've been dealing with. So, See, and I think that they, they must have known that there was, they, if they had the coordinates and they knew about the zone and they knew or this extra dimension that, that they were trying to get to, I think they would have had to know about is if they were if they knew they were meeting a person a certain person it's not like it was just a person or a random person mm-hmm. it was a certain person a specific person but i but the fact How that they, he says a certain person and then he talks about the major i just i just think that that it's it's a little bit ambiguous but i think it's leading to the fact yeah. that they knew that the major maybe the major was giving them clues all yeah, along maybe he there, was yeah. leading them there to him mm-hmm. dropping breadcrumbs or or whatever yeah um, so I, I, I am kind of in agreement with John on that front that, that they knew that it was going to be the major. I know you said that. No, no, no. I, I think that is the most obvious and clearest way to read it. I just think there's some ambiguity there probably on purpose. And I, I don't know if it'll come up later, but. We, we've talked for about an hour and a half as usual. Um, but there was a lot of plot in this one. It was not not light on the key details of things that are happening and, yeah. and connections between the stories and 
that was that was interesting. That was that was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, what what would you rather have? Another part eight where it was metaphysical and crazy, and you had no idea what was going on. Or no, I think like those used sparingly is how you get the the most impact from them. But yeah. um, but having, I mean, I wouldn't want to have another episode like this right away, right? Like it it's it's where I think the pacing of of this whole of the return entirely is it has been really quite nice. Is that mm-hmm. there's big big moments and then there's soft moments and there's slow moments and, and there's, there's funny moments and funny moments yeah. and it seems like it's hitting all the right notes exactly when you need them and that's why I disagree with you so strongly about the scene with the smoking because I think that everything is put in where it's supposed to be it's supposed to take us you know we've had big moments we're having big moments come up it wants us to take a breath yes and I'm saying that's fine I just I, I don't enjoy taking a breath I'd rather just Aiden does not like breathing this is yep. what you learned you about bickering peace <laughs> This this week just, we're in Paris and Aiden doesn't like to breathe. Well, you know, there's a lot of smog. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, I, I I think that it's interesting that we didn't get any follow up on the 1950s storyline, the the girl with the uh, fricket crawling in her mouth, the flying frog or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that was left completely hanging. Um, we didn't. For now. For now. And then that's the thing. I, I Did you I agree. want all of that explained right no, away? No, no, not at all. But I thought maybe it would become something that w- that weaves in, that we would jump back and forth between those time periods, mm-hmm. perhaps a little bit more, um, that we might get a bit more of the giant or something. But maybe it'll come in these bursts of, of a separate That's what I'm thinking timeline. is going to happen. Yeah. Is, that, is that, and that's what I meant, that this is paced exactly how it's supposed to be. We're going to get <laughs> it in part 12, you know, and then we'll get, you know, a half hour scene in the mauve world again or mm-hmm. purple world or um we'll get a scene with senorita dido or we'll get a scene with mother slash experiment or something like that right mm-hmm. so or another extended scene with the woodsman this time in twin peaks or you know yeah but it's um i think it's it's progressing beautifully and i'm i'm just enjoying the ride to be honest with you i think yeah. that this is this is i'm less concerned about figuring it all out this week. I don't know if it's because I'm on holiday <laughs> or if, if there's some other reason why I just feel much more calm about just accepting what I'm seeing and letting it go. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like it's just been... Well, this one did so much connecting for us that I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever comes next week is fine. It'll, yeah. just, it'll be fun and yeah. exciting no matter what. So, I mean, we're halfway through now. Yes, exactly halfway uh, through. I think that's... It's amazing how far we've come in, mm-hmm. in nine hours, really. Um, and just the amount of crazy cool stuff we've seen uh, has really been quite enjoyable and, and knowing what we've seen and how much is left to come how much more was potentially on the way and we know that more cool stuff will be coming because this is Twin Peaks and it's David Lynch and Mark Frost it's going to be great yeah. so um, yeah I I'm, I think we're being greatly rewarded by not having many expectations except for Audrey I really want to see Audrey we need Audrey Where's Audrey? Hashtag, where's we'll Audrey? Out. We'll find out. Maybe. I hope she's back. She will. She's back, right? She'll show up. She'll show up. Yeah. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Bickering Peaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.